0: You don't have them then this doesn't apply to you at all, all that, right. amen I mean this is like what are they talking about man I don't know what they got what they, what they, what they, you know the world doesn't understand what we got and we just started we're starting our journey on the book of uh, John and there's going to be a lot of things that really the world don't get amen. and there's people uh, that are in the church they don't get it Whoa. and sometimes why we don't get it in the church because maybe we don't have it in the first place yeah. you can't get what you don't have Somebody says, he's joy in the morning. Somebody says, well, I, don't, I don't get it. I ain't never been joyful in the morning. Man, I hate waking up. I look at Well, that clock goes off. I think, it's, oh, God, it's time to go to, I got to go to work. I got to go to school. I got to, oh, I ain't nothing joyful about that. But you know what? You can have joy in that because why? Somebody somewhere did not get up. They wish they could get up to go to work. They wish they could get up to go to school. So, yeah, but this book of John is going to tell us a lot of things. John, that we talked about last week, uh, is going to cover a whole lot of things, and John is the, uh, the fourth book of the Gospels. John is not part of the Synoptic Gospels, which is the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which gives us a snapshot or a synopsis or overview of Jesus they cover many of the things about Jesus that we all know about they all talk about his birth they all talk about how he grew up they talk about John the Baptist they talk about a lot of different things but John is an exception because John really deals with Jesus and God as God in the flesh and I think we talked about last week that the key to the whole book is in John chapter 20 verse 31 and John tells us that there are many things that he could have wrote about Jesus, so much so that it would probably outweigh and outscore the whole Old Testament and then some. But he and the rest of the writers only chose to highlight through the power of the Holy Spirit certain aspects of Jesus' ministry. I want to read a little thing from a book that I have in my library: uh, "Insights on John" by Chuck Swindoll. Gives uh, a commentary. Uh, gives a synopsis or gives an overview and talks about various aspects of John but I like what he talked about John because it gives you an idea of who John is to understand the author gives us a better idea of why John wrote what he wrote Wrote what he wrote in terms of who he is to Jesus and I want I just want to read just a uh, couple sections here that he talks about in his introduction and then we'll get to uh, John chapter one and we'll probably cover first four verses He said, John had lived long enough to see it all, from from the beginning all the way to the end. As a brash, blustery young man, the idea of tramping around the wilderness of Judea to follow John the baptizer, baptizer appealed to him a great deal. So he left his thriving fishing enterprise in the hands of his brother, James, and abandoned his privileged status for a diet of locusts and wild honey and a chance to prepare Israel for the coming of Messiah. He helped the forerunner of the Christ, baptized thousands of repentant Jews, and supported this strange Elijah-like figure as he called down judgment on the corrupt temple leaders. Finally, the day came when John saw the long-awaited anointed one. He looked nothing like what John had imagined. But his wilderness mentor, John the Baptizer, was unequivocal. This was the one. He and another of John's disciples decided to get a closer look to follow him home, to hear what he had to say about himself and Israel. And before the dawn of the next day, he knew. They had found the Messiah. The time he spent with Jesus Flew by in the beat of a lash, yet it remained vividly clear in his mind for more than seventy years. He saw the man who he thought would be a conquering super David, savior of Israel, instead stripped, beaten mercilessly, and hung on a cross like a petty thug. He saw the sky darken as the light of the world faded into death. He saw his hope resurrected. To assume a more religious form than he could have imagined, he stood in awe as the presence of God filled the squabbling, self promoting disciples and transformed them into the bones and muscle, hands and feet of Christ's body. As the blood of his martyred brothers inspired new believers, John nurtured them as Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Apollos, Luke, Timothy. Titus and a host of other missionaries zealously expanded the church westward, John shored up its foundation. As critics bashed, John defeated. As impostors subverted, John exposed them. As false prophets misled, John refuted their heretical message. He condensed his teaching into three letters, which originally circulated within the churches of Asia Minor around AD 65. After John outlived all his martyred peers, Emperor Domitian exiled the apostle to the nearly barren isle of Patmos. There he saw the future of the world, all the way to its destruction and recreation. He preserved everything he witnessed in the Revelation. After Domitian's death, John rested in the care of the church in Ephesus, which in turn enjoyed his gentle, grandfather-like shepherding. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, has been staples of church teaching as early as AD 50. They told the story of Jesus from different perspectives, yet each one included many of the same events, largely taken from his ministry in Galilee. Decades later, Christianity grew into more than a movement. It became a sophisticated system of thought, and this maturity brought new challenges. The danger came less in the form of physical attacks or religious opposition and more by philosophical corruption and theological compromise. Furthermore, the biography of Jesus lacked a much-needed cosmic dimension. So in the final years of his life, when the nearness of death gives memories an eternal glow, and after much witnessed the most significant period of history the world has ever known, John wrote of his master. It gives you an idea of who John is. He was able to do all of that because of who his Lord was. And when all his contemporaries were dead, many were martyred for their belief. John was the last standing apostle Peter, James, John, I mean, Peter, James, and Bartholomew and all the other ones, gone. He was the last one. And at the end of the paragraph, the last paragraph I read there, at the end of his life, he remembered all that Jesus had done, and he sat down and wrote this masterpiece called the book of John. I hope you stay with us. I hope you stick with it. Read it on your own because it is a powerful book. John uh, got to see much, but the Lord allowed him to express much. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Eighty times in this book, the word love is used. 215 times, the word truth is used and a hundred times the word believe is used. We are to love the truth who is and which is revealed in Christ so that the result is we will believe in him who is the truth. Got it? Love truth, believe. There's other words that are there, but those are some of the major ones. Throughout this book, the love of God and the love of the truth, who is God, who is Christ, and revealed in Him, is done so that as a result of our love and our knowing the truth and knowing Him as the truth will result in that we will believe in Him who is the truth. And we live in a world today that does not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. we got all these different stories. There's some things going on. I think there's a, there's a couple of episodes on uh, CNN talking about the resurrection and about who Jesus is. And you got the AD series going on and all that. But you know what? If you really want to know who Jesus is, you need to come to the book, the Bible. And when you look at the Gospel of John... John is going to tell us as we take this journey who Jesus is. I told you that the whole point of the book is found in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he says, But these were written so that you and I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You ought to highlight that. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's what the whole book is about. That's what our whole Christian life is about, that we may believe on him who is the Son of God. John chapter 1 gives us this because it talks about a couple things. Number one, Jesus Christ is eternal. He has no beginning, and he will have no end. Jesus Christ is the creator. All things were made by him. And Jesus Christ is the source of all life. Nothing remains alive apart from him. Jesus Christ, though completely human, fully reveals who the Father is. And you can, we'll pick that up when we get to verses 14 and 18. So all of who Christ is is found right there in the very beginning in those four verses. It talks about, number one, his preexistence. In the beginning was the Word. Somebody says, what does that mean? Who's the word? We're going to find out that the word in verse 14 is going to tell us. John identifies the word by saying the word is Jesus Christ. Not, and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where in Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, what? God created. Not in the beginning, God was created, but in the beginning, God created. God has always been. There is, it's hard for us to understand this. I was watching something the other day, and there was a young man that stood up to ask the question, And he was trying to wrap his mind around the eternality of God. And one of the the, uh, pastors on the panel told him, listen, if you try to figure this out, if you spend a lot of time trying to understand some of the things of God, you will drive yourself crazy. We operate in time and space. We're born, we die. We go to work at a time, a certain time, we come home, and certain, we operate. But God does not operate in time like you and I. God has always been. Before there was in the beginning, God already was. Got me? Yep. That same God that has always been also includes Jesus Christ because he says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is identified as Christ. In the beginning, you had all three persons of the Godhead there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says, "In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God." Got it? God and the word who we're going to find out is Christ was with God. Because why? They're all the same person. God Father, God Son, we don't serve three different gods. We serve one God, but he manifests himself in three different ways. On contrary to some of our brothers, I, know, I can't call them brothers because they're not brothers. Contrary to some of the other faiths that, uh, can you call them faith? What do I want to call them? Other systems of belief that are teaching false doctrine. Uh, no, we don't serve three different gods. We serve one God. Amen? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not only was Jesus with God, but the Word also was God, which tells us that they're the same person. It's hard to understand that, and we try to we try to come up with similarities. Water, water, you know, the water evaporates. No, I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm a husband. There's nothing that we can compare the relationship of God with what we have here on earth because whatever we compare that to, it's really insignificant. It doesn't match who God is. But all we need to know is that the word was already at the beginning whenever the beginning was. And we don't know when that was. It wasn't that God stepped out, all of a sudden God was created, but God has always been. And then God in his own mind said, let there be, and there was. Amen? Verse 2 kind of supports that because he says he was in the beginning with God. Whenever that beginning was, the word was already there. Which means Jesus was there. It means God the Father was there. And it means the Holy Spirit was there. Also, lets us know that talks about his pre existence. He, ex- he existed before. It also talks about in that verse that their coexistence. The Word was with God. If the idea is there is a distinction from God the Father. One God three persons. Here we have, in this particular case, we have God the Father and God the Son. He was in the beginning with God. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He, Christ, was in the beginning with God, who is His Father. Amen? Go with me to Proverbs 8.27. A little conversation going on in heaven. God's talking about His relationship, Proverbs 8.27. If you get to the book of Psalms, just go one book past that. Proverbs 8.27. Amen. 8.27. Amen. 8.27 says, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress its command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of men. When God, who through Christ was creating, then he was there. God the Father delegated to the Son, create. And that's what he did, create. Every single thing, because we're going to find out, not only is it about the pre-existence of God, not not only about the coexistence of God, but we're also going to talk about the self-existence. God exists in and of himself. He does not need us. To be God. We weren't here when he was here anyway. So why does he need us to be here? God is God with or without us. He's self-existent. You and I are not self-existent. You can't exist by yourself. You say, yes, I can, Pastor. I can exist by myself. Try that. (laughs) You get yourself on an island by yourself. And I will say to you, number one, God created the island for you to be on. So you already blown the fact that you're self existence. Number two, if you're eating the coconuts and the bananas and whatever, you didn't make that. God did. But I got water. You didn't create that. God did. So if you and I are so self-existent, that means we can exist in and of ourselves. I can make that even better yet. Take a deep breath and hold it. Just don't breathe. Just hold it. And I guarantee you in a matter of sort of amount of time, you're going to breathe out. Because guess what? You can't exist without the breath that God allows you and I to take in. You and I are going to go home in a few minutes. And we're going to eat food now. You may have went to the store and bought it. So you can say to me, well, Pastor, I, I did kind of exist because I went in and got it. But guess what? That beef that you're eating, that pork chops that you're eating, that salad that you're eating, that spaghetti, that you, whatever it is you're going to have. I think the, the cattle were on a, a hill somewhere eating some of the grains and grass of God. For if they had not eaten the grain and the grass of God, they would have not been taken to the slaughterhouse and killed. For you and I to sit down and go, now that is a good looking piece of meat. Look at that steak. My God. Some of our steaks are like that. Some of our steaks we're buying are kind of thin. Because we can't you know, you go to the market now and you look at the price, you go, Oh my God, <laughs> look how much steak is costing. You know, what's, that, what's that beef, Brother Tony, uh, that they, Kobe beef, that they raise over in Japan? It's like a pet. They just feed it the best that there is. Treat the poor cow like he's like, you know what? We love you. Yeah, we love you, all right. Because <laughs> <laughs> we see the end product. We're going to give you the best of the water, the best of the grains. You're going to have a nice little place to raise and grow up in. Because one of these days, because we gave you the best. All that's going to marbleize and materialize. And, and they were going to say, that's it. Love you. Wouldn't want to be you. <laughs> and there you are on my table. We, we need God to exist. Amen. Amen. We are not existent. It also says here that in John chapter 1, it says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made. That was made. Every single thing was made by God. And the person that is identified as the maker and the creator is Jesus Christ. Now, as much as I don't like flies, God, through the Son, created flies. As much as I like, don't like sometimes ants, Amen. they were created by God. Whatever part of creation that there is... Christ, who is identified as the Word, as God, made everything. Every single thing. I mean, have you ever thought about name something? That you can't name anything that's not created by God. If you ever think about this? I was talking about this the other day. Well, not just the other day, but I thought about it. God is perfect in his creation. Man is not. Everything that man has ever created is a byproduct of sin, produces waste. We build cars made out of metal and steel and, and fabric. And in the end, when we're done with it, we gotta figure out a place that we can get rid of this stuff at. We take it to the junkyard, and then you go by the junkyard, there's only so much that they could do with it. Everything man has ever produced, computers. And when they become obsolete and and, and not useful, many of us got how many of us got computers in our house that are 10 years old or more? You know, it's like okay, we got to upgrade now, and you get the next one. But what do you do with the old one? I mean, you just put it in a closet and just hold on to it for what reason I don't know. Take it to Best Buy; they take your old computer stuff. And I was walking in Best Buy yesterday, and I got a whole, I got a bin at my house that's full of a bunch of wires and plugs and stuff that we bought over the past ten or fifteen years that we're not even, we have not used at all. I don't even know what they go to anymore. They're in my closet and a little Tupperware thing. I'm like i gotta think, I got to get rid of this. I'm not, we're not using it. Everything, man, but everything God creates is entirely different. And John says, look, everything that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you and I have life, we also have life because of who God is. He is life. Without him, there is no life. And John's going to tell us And he starts out out his gospel saying, look, in a world where you have all these different philosophies that were going on, you had the Gnostics who believed a certain thing, you had the Stoics who believed in a certain thing, and yet he's going to tell us that even though your philosophy deals with man, the Gnostics believed that the, the body was not good, John is going to tell us, look, you've got the wrong perspective. This, these first few verses are, are, are the prologue. They set up what John's getting ready to talk about. He's going to talk about the love of God. He's going to talk about all the various things, not only about his love, but out of his truth and what we should believe. What do you and I believe? We, believe? we should believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, who was God, took upon himself the former flesh. We call that the Incarnation. That's a theological technical term. Somebody said, "What's the incarnation?" Incarnation is God in the flesh. He who was God up in heaven, who created the whole entire universe, stepped out of heaven and came down and became like us. Why? You're gonna find out. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He God gave. The other God, His son, to die for you and I. The great love of God, the great truth of God, that if we love God and God loves us and we believe in the truth, who is God and the truth is wrapped up in the Son Jesus Christ, then that because of that, we ought to what? believe. Question: Do you and I believe? I ain't asking about part-time believing. I mean, really, honestly, genuinely believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Come down to what? Save us. He's that light. He says anything that was made. And then verse 4 so in him was life. Every living thing owns itself to Jesus and his creation. And guess what? That life is the light of man. In other words, Jesus is life, and life also produces light. And then you finish that up with what he says here at the end of that. The light shines in what? Darkness. And then darkness has not... Overcome it. The darkness, in other words, has not attacked it. The darkness has not been able to supersede it. The darkness of this world has not yet been able to overcome, to defeat. Who is he who is the light? He who is life. Why would you think Jesus spending time speaks of himself as, hey, hey, I have come what? To give you what? Life! it away. We look at what Jesus gives to us as as if God, through Christ, has taken away from us. No, it's just the exact opposite. If you really understand what Jesus has done for you and is doing and will do, you'll realize that you have more life in him than you do without him. Why would he say that? Why would he say, I have come to give you life? Not just the ability to breathe and eat and do all that other stuff but really giving you life that it touches to the very inner soul and being of who you and I are. If we're frustrated today, if we're mad today, if we're angry today, if we're not satisfied today, if we got all kinds of stuff going on in our mind, and it's because we have yet to understand that that is not who God wants us to be. He says, I come to give you life! Now, I grew up in a church where one of my pastors' favorite saying is, was, anything dead ought to be buried. Anything dead ought to be buried. What he was trying to say is, how many of us are already dead? Which begs the question, if we're dead, what do you do with dead, dead things? You throw them away? Are you? Bury it. But that's not what God says. God says, I didn't come to give you death. I didn't come to take away from you. I come that your life might be more fulfilled in me. You know what I hear a lot of in, in, in a lot of our churches? I even hear it here at this church. It comes up over and over again, and I'm thinking, but you missed the whole point. Nobody ever said that life would be easy. Nobody ever said that you would never have trouble. That's not promised in the Bible. With all these churches that talk about it, if you come to Jesus, you'll be happy and fulfilled and you'll get money in your pocket and you'll have, you know, if you give me $200, God will give you $2 million. You know, all the promises of faith and health and wealth and prosperity. That's, never, that's not part of the true gospel. There are more people. There's a written about in the Bible. More people that we know from our own personal spirit that never got all that, but yet they had the joy of Christ in their life. That at bad times or good times, they were able to say, "God is good." I'm almost to the point that I'm afraid to say that because we so easily whip off, "God is good" all the time, and all the time is God good. I think it's become a catchphrase that it actually become a part of who we are. You know, we say that like we say Coke is the real thing. We say like that, like we say Burger King and all that other stuff. We say that as, as, if, as if that's a magical thing, but it's, it's more than that. Because if I say God is good, we are, you and I ought to be able to say, yes, God is good. Even when I'm bad, God is good. Even when things don't go right in my life, God is still good. Even when I don't have any money, God is good. Even when I'm mad, somebody, God is good. Even when my wife and children act bad, God is good. Even when I don't do right, God is good. God's goodness is not predicated on me. Because I know how messed up I can be. God's goodness. God's goodness. Is who he is. I'm almost afraid to share this and I'm gonna come to a close. Again, I was watching this discussion, uh, answer session, and one of the speakers made a statement in his presentation that God is angry all the time. God is angry all the time. And for most of the question and answer period, Excuse me, uh, Pastor McGee. You made a statement that God is mad. What is God mad at? Excuse me, uh, Pastor McGee. Why is God angry? What would He be angry about? You know what I thought to myself as I'm hearing these questions? They don't understand that God does not His anger is not like our anger. Our anger's is wrath is, is, is in the context of sin. Is God angry all the time? Yes, He is. Why? Because sin is always present. Sin is all the time, everywhere, every place. God is, He would have to be, His attribute of who He is and His holiness demands that He be angry at sin at all times. Therefore, God is angry all the time. But what we also forget is this at the same time, God is angry and is not angry like we have, but at the same time, God is angry, God is also loving. God is also compassionate. God is also forgiving. God is also all the other things of who he is wrapped up as. He's that at all times. He can't help but be that. Why? Because he's God. And what happens is they focus on, he's angry. I don't understand why God is angry. No, he ain't operating on our realm. He's God. He's not mad at somebody because he didn't do what he wanted to do. His anger is wrapped up in the sinfulness of man. And God, who is eternal, is always angry at sin, whether it be a believer or unbeliever. But at the same time, he's angry. His love also prevails. His mercy also prevails. So all of who God is is who he is at all times. Rejoice in that. God can't be but who he is. So if I say God is angry all the time, oh, I don't believe that. I, I disagree with that. Well, they did disagree with the Bible. Because you want to talk about God is loving. Yes, he is. But he's also angry, compassionate, long-suffering, all those other things. And I was thinking to myself, as we go through John, we're going to find out that who is this Jesus that you and I talk so much about? Who is he? And can you and I Answer the question to a world that says and identify Jesus and talk about him in so many other ways other than who he really is. This is going to be, even in these few verses here, the gospel is right there. In these first four verses, you have a presentation of the gospel. The good news is, his life was a light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection, that Jesus Christ came into a sinful, messed up world to say sinful, messed up creatures like you and I. We were under the wrath of God, deserving the penalty of God, which is the death, which is an eternal death, which is total separation from God. That's what we deserve. But God in his goodness, for God so loved the world that his son came into the world, and now we are without excuse. He's given to us, he's extended to us, the branch of, accept my son, and I will tell you, I have come to give you life. So if you're here today, and don't know Jesus, I ain't talking about you came down when you were five years old, and your parents said you need to get, be in the church, and that's what you did. I mean you personally, saw yourself as a sinner. Saw yourself as on your way to hell. Saw yourself as messed up and needing a savior because you could not save yourself. And you said to yourself, "Oh, I need somebody better than I am because I have tried to live right and I can't do it. I try to be good. I start Monday morning. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to fuss." I'm not going to get mad at my wife. I'm not going to get mad at my kids. I'm not going to get mad at my, job, at my boss. I'm going to be good. I'm not going to speed. I'm not going to spit out the window. I'm not going to do this. All the things that we come up with, we're going to do. And before the day's over, we've already blown it. I can tell you that before your eyes open, that you're going to blow it. Because somewhere along life, we all blow it. The Bible talks about sin of omission and commission. Some things we know we do, are doing, we know for ourselves. That it's wrong and it's contrary. We know it. Anybody got to sit here and preach to you about some things? It's in the Bible. You know it, but you and I have elected not to do it. That's sin. To him who knows it is sin and does not do it, to him it is sin. To know something's wrong and you just do the contrary, that's sin. But then there's other things that we do we may not even be cognizant of. We're just doing stuff and God says, well, wait a minute. You may not know that, but this is sin. What? I never thought about that. I give an example. I remember years ago pastor was teaching, and some of us like to say, you know, we use certain words, something happens, we go, D-A-M-N, I-T, you know, that's what we say, so we say, we get saved, we get converted, or not converted, or not saved, and we say, I don't like that, that can't really be, that's not nice, I don't need to say that, so what do we say, oh, darn it, oh, shucks, oh, fudsicles, what are you doing? In the context you're saying the same you're using the same context, you just changed the words. The spirit and the intent is already behind a substitute of what you've already said. Right. And we think that we have substituted it for something else. And God says, "Well, that's not really press. Well, darn it's not really a curse word, pastor. It's in the same context. For if you had not said darn it, they have said something else. See how we operate? Omission, commission, but Jesus saves us from all that mess. Amen. He's the light. He's the life. And they don't make mistakes. Don't say, well, you, you priest that. I know you. Do I ever say that? Oh, yes, I do. Yes, indeedy. And when I say some stuff, I go, oh, Jesus, that wasn't good. I know. Forgive me. But at that time, I was so frustrated. I was out of fellowship with you, and not really thinking about your glory, but thinking of my own circumstance. And everybody sitting here going, amen, Pastor, we knew you were messed up. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you something, we're all messed up. And what we need is the Lord Jesus Christ to come and to change our lives. If you read down through this whole section of verses 1 through 18, he's got a lot to say about our belief, a lot about other things. And my prayers, as we go through the gospel, of John, that we're going to learn to know about God's love. We're going to learn to know what God's truth is. And because we know of God's love, we know the truth of God. We're going to believe. That's my heart's desire, is that we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh.